Welcome to another episode of Zero Lift, a weekly celebration of all things motorsport. I'm your host, Lenny, a.k.a. Mr. Zero Lift. I'm here with our two speed addicts, John and Ryan. Heyo! What's up, boys? We got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to talk about a this lot. week, uh, so let's just get right in. Get let's get right into it about Group B. John, uh, take it away where we left off. All right, y'all. So Group B Part Two. I hope you're strapped in. Where we left off, 1983 season. Folks are starting to get into this. You know, it's starting to garner some some mass attention. Um, group B and things were starting to get uh, really weird and really wild. So. Going into 1984, I just want to take a quick aside and talk about Group B cars versus modern WRC equivalents. Now, modern WRC cars have long since eclipsed uh, the stage times of Group B cars. They are faster, but they don't make as much horsepower. They, they make somewhere in the neighborhood of between 3 to 450, um, depending on restrictor and class. Uh, but chassis development is much better. The suspension is a world different. Uh, brakes are much better. Um, and there's driver aids like electronics, four wheel drive. The engines are set up to have like no lag and like a really flat torque curve. And so these cars made their times with relatively uh, archaic suspension design, but just a ton of horsepower and you know the the four-wheel drive systems like nowadays almost everything especially in motorsports is like adaptable switching from like front to rear bias depending on the conditions and the computer detecting slip and most of these group b cars were just like a locked 50 50 split or maybe a 60 40 split front rear um and it's it was a lot more work to drive them fast so it can't be overstated kind of the difference uh, between these cars but yeah i would totally agree with you there john like uh a lot of these modern cars whether it be rally or f1 or gt or what have you like there's just basic like to us basic um sort of aids like abs or traction control or a form of, of whatever or just computers and electronics controlling some of the things or at least monitoring versus back in the day where it was a lot of analog stuff like to have a computer or like any sort of like advanced ECU in the car would, would be some really technologically advanced stuff. And Almost so like, I, yeah. And like anti-lag that was like left foot breaking, I think is what, is what most people would say anti-lag in that, in that era. Yeah. Was, right? So, so some of the cars did have anti-lag systems on them, but they weren't super duper effective at the time. And, uh, so an anti-lag system, for those of you who don't know, is something that keeps the turbo spooled up when you're not on the throttle so that there isn't a delay. Um, but yeah, usually guys were just like on the brakes, and while they were on the brakes, they were also holding down the gas, and that's called left foot braking, um, to keep, just to keep the turbo spooled. So when they let the brake off, the car just takes off, which is, I mean, you're already... It's effective. Yeah, it's effective, <laughs> but like you're slipping a car sideways, going nuts, and you got one more thing to worry about, and that's holding the gas down. Like, it's it's it bothers that can't be done anymore. So, so modern, just so you guys know, current WRC just updated the regulations for 2022 to hybrid. So, along with F1, WRC now uses hybrids. They're using the same uh, 1.6 liter uh, ICE uh, internal combustion so old engine. school. And thank you. Uh, and but they have now attached the hybrid. 100 kilowatt plug-in hybrid power used to produce over 500 horsepower. And if you look at the comparative fact that you can watch live rally and you are seeing all the braking acceleration and everything, and now they have the boost that strategy is involved, um, you're looking at cars that are much, much faster, but the amount of information, the left for braking is still a thing, but now you can't really have both brake and gas at the same time and uh, it's, it's a different game entirely. Yeah, but yeah, we kind of don't need to. You don't need to because when you, no, you yeah. don't have to anymore for sure. It's more of it's kind of similar to like F one or GT where it's like all of the brake, but it's, it's more tappy than it is just slam on the brake and then you know 
that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, the modern hybrid cars are just a completely game changer. And yet here we are still talking about Group B because they're that cool. They are. And so, we'll tell you So why. in 84, so like, correct me if I'm wrong, John. So in 84, the Audi Sport Quattro was pumping 450 horsepower? Yeah, that's the estimated figure. Uh, for 84 so estimated that's disgusting when they say that i mean yeah a and lot of this stuff because <laughs> the regulations were so bad and like there was a spec gasoline but everybody was pouring their own tuline mix into it tuline is basically <laughs> octane booster uh the stuff your grandpa put in his nova at, at pep boys but um everybody had their own mix and so nobody really knew what the hell they were using for gas nobody was using legal gas and so the amount of turbo boost like you know, the, the rules were written in such a way so that an NA engine should be able to compete with a suitably smaller turbocharged engine. <laughs> but that was simply not the case because when you just pump the octane of the fuel to astronomical levels and then you're like, screw it, turn the boost gauge to 11. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> very. That's what the Subaru dudes do. Yeah. Yeah. And then they don't have rings. But uh, yeah. that's a different story. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, uh, so 84. So 82 was a transitional season. 83 was the first real season. And after 83, people were like, yo, this is dope. So 84 was when competition really started to heat up. Like you mentioned, Lenny, Audi brought out the Sport Quattro, which is basically their Quattro, but in a coupe form. So it's shorter. It's lighter. Um, it was a Band-Aid fix because the, the Audi was always a little ungainly for a Group B car, and they were trying to kind of polish a turd um and they polish it by making it shorter lighter more arrow and more engine um more power babe more power but mm -hmm. uh the other huge development for 84 was peugeot entering the ring now they didn't enter till halfway through the season but they came out with the 205 turbo 16 which is one of the legendary homologation specials of the time now, a Peugeot 205 is a front-engine, front-wheel drive, Econo shitbox. Um, not unlike, I don't know, a Ford Fiesta or, what, a Kia Rio. Uh, as, you know, it, it's one of those cars. And then Peugeot put an engine in the back and turbocharged it and made it all-wheel all drive and put on some big effing wings. Mm. They were estimated to be making somewhere in the neighborhood of 350 horsepower when they first came out. And so even though they were about 100 down on the Audi, they were lighter, much more nimble, much better balanced. And the 205 Way is, more fun to drive. Yeah. And the 205 is kind of known to be like the, quote, winning formula for Group B. It's kind of the de facto standard. It, it's I mean, that's kind of that car realistically is more similar to modern cars in its balance. Whereas like Audi was just like, how do you drive this thing? Yeah. It's nuts. It's so twitchy. I just want to say that uh, the Peugeot 205 Turbo 16 uh, lightweightness, lightweightness, nimbleness, um, nimbleness uh, is kind of like a foreshadowing to the death of Group B here. I just want to make that note um, because it was so lightweight and it was game changing, right? And everyone was like, ah, it's the, that's it. That's the winning formula. It's all wheel drive, it's lightweight, and it's turbocharged. It's like a callback to chat, nuts with it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But I, wow. Look at you. I mean, for me, the, the, Good Peugeot, one. the Peugeot 205 to me is an evolution, like even though it's a different car, different manufacturers, all that. It's an evolution of the Renault T5. Um, mm hmm where they took a and and the reason those two cars in particular to me are the coolest cars from group b is because they were both based on undesirable slow lame pieces of crap and then they put the engine in the back did some crazy stuff to it and now you have this just rad monster of a car and as far as uh as far as sim notes i did want to say like Driving the Peugeot in in dirt rally is absolutely insane because the amount of tur turbo lag is just impossible. <laughs> and yeah. you you will come out of a hairpin, step on the gas, 
check your watch, be like, any fucking day now. And then it like, <laughs> and then it spools up and you instantly go sideways in every gear. And, uh, that's great. It's such a blast to drive. It's so scary. It's, it's, uh, it's still more controllable know. than the Audi though. That is the insane thing here. It is because the chassis is so good, but like, yes. it's just the way the power comes on. And it's just like, right. you basically have to like be jumping off the rev limiter in too low of a gear out of a corner to get any kind of like useful hookup because if you drop below mm-hmm. boost and it comes back on in the dirt like it's over <laughs> yeah I, fa- I found that to be the case where you're like in a lower gear than you would be for almost any other car yeah. just to make sure that you don't get all wily coming out of it you're like right. normally this is a third gear turn nope i'm in second <laughs> yeah like, because it, there's a weird effect in and you see this in a lot of different types of racing where like the transition from low boost to high boost, like that violent onset of power is more upsetting than just being on the power and continuing to be on the power uh, to the tires. Mm. But anyway, we won't go too too far down that. Um, So Audi (laughs) dominated. Yeah. Audi dominated the first half of the season uh, just due to power. And they were racing against a Lancia zero three, seven rear wheel drive. The Lancia is really starting to show its age. Um, and then Peugeot came in for the second half with their new car, and notably, um, they won the last three races in a row. Just bam, bam, bam. So, That's impressive. Yeah. So it's and up the uh, gate. Yeah, uh, I think I think they were in for like two rallies, and did you know well? But then the last three of the season was just boom, boom, boom in a row. Um, also, shakedown, shakedown, yeah. win, win, win. Right. Word. Exactly. Um, <laughs> also, notably, uh, Stig Blomqvist was the winner of the driver championship this year. And for Top Gear fans, that is the guy that the Stig is patterned after. So the Stig has his roots in Group B. Um, Ooh. Yeah. I didn't uh, know that. Wow. He yeah. likes a lot of weird music, though. He does. He does. He likes to see, I mean, he's he's Finn, so. <laughs> he's the Stig. Um, so the standings for that season overall, Audi did take it with Lancia in second, and that's only because Peugeot came in so late. Peugeot took up third. Um, and that takes us, yeah. And that takes us into 85. Now I think 85 and 86 are where you're really, it's the Mecca. Yeah. That's when things are really, really getting out of control. Um, so in 85 power from the Audi specifically is approaching 600 horsepower. Um, the Peugeot like mid season had a six win streak. Um, so you are really starting to see the Peugeot cement itself. Audi is just trying to lob cannonballs, uh, with just engine power ratings going higher and higher and higher to try and keep up. Um, they're mostly not really making it. Um, and 85 is when you start to see the foreshadowing of what's coming. So during the Tour de Corse rally, uh, Attilio Bottega crashed his Lancia 037 into a tree and was instantly killed. Three wow. rally, yeah, three rallies later in Argentina, uh, Vantanen of Team Peugeot, um, coming down a long straight, rolled his car multiple times, and he uh, sustained life-threatening injuries, but he did actually survive. But those were really high profile crashes of that season. Can I just say two things yeah. or one thing really about those two crashes is that, uh, for in that, that, uh, Lancia 037 crash, uh, it had a, I think an, an, an alloy aluminum roll cage. Yep. Uh, and that's kind of specifically why, uh, the driver didn't survive because the co co-pilot, uh, co-driver, did survive like yes, he, he was uninjured but just because of the way that the lancia went into the tree uh like in the forward side it was like the weakest point of that particular metal roll cage uh and the reason why the driver in the peugeot survived because it had um i think a, a steel roll cage or like oh, a yeah. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't carbon fiber at this point, correct? Oh, no. No, well, no, yeah. Well, so, like, the bodywork was uh, probably, like, a composite. Yeah. Or, like, close to a carbon yes, composite. It was. But the roll cages, uh, like, three race, three rallies later, or, like, maybe the Peugeot just had it inherently. Uh, I don't I don't know that. Uh, 
the roll cage was steel, and so like that's it was the reason why it was in the Peugeot. The, and this okay. is something that people that don't really get into motorsports might not appreciate. But anybody that has dealt with or like prepped a car, like nowadays, like if you're in like professional competition, like maybe some lower clubman classes might allow an alloy cage, but like. If you're doing anything real, it's all drawn over mandrel or DOM steel. And, like, the idea of having an aluminum roll cage to people that are kind of in it is crazy. That That's mm-hmm. ridiculous. That's not safe. That's that's dumb. You have – so drawn over mandrel means that, like, the bends in the steel, like the curves, are drawn over this thing called a mandrel. And that allows the steel to bend without kinking. Um. So it's a smooth radius bend with with no edges, um, and that is like you know NHRA, FIA, I- any sanctioning body like that's just the standard, and they specify what the tube size and um, what the diameter yep. of the tube has to be, like, and so the fact that these guys are basically like F one level and they're having aluminum roll cages is kind of like, like when I read that I was like what. <laughs> I mean, this is pre like a lot of safety regulations oh, yeah. that are now modern yeah, and current. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah, every and, form and so of like the sport. the review investigation that came after that that Lancia 037 crash, uh, like he they said like oh, d- given how fast he was going and the angle of which he impacted the tree, there was no road cage made at that time that would have saved him, right? But like, Damn. let's be really like if. You guys listened to our last episode. Like, there was sort of a laissez-faire sort of enforcement of the rules in Group B. Oh, that's putting it lightly, right? <laughs> and so, like, they said that to kind of like just shrug it off, but like, it was really a huge indicator of, of the, some safety issues that would uh, come into play later on in Group B life. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's um, prudent to mention. One of the big things to Group B here, and that is spectators. And that Group B had a spectator problem. Most people have probably seen videos. You probably didn't even know what you were looking at, but most people, even not motorsports fans, have probably seen videos of these crazy throngs of people standing in the middle of a racetrack, and as the car comes through, they part like Moses in the Red Sea, to let the car go through. <laughs> That's exactly uh, it. Yeah. That's perfect. That was group B. Uh, there was basically no crowd control. There was no rules. Wild. There was nothing put in place to try and control these crowds. And um, some places like like uh, the UK was known for being pretty well controlled because, I don't know, people, the, people from the UK love standing in lines. And, uh, Is Argentina one of the worst? Uh, it wasn't Argentina. Portugal. Yep, Portugal. Was. Portugal. Thank you. Okay. And Group B was wildly popular in Portugal. Uh, the races would commonly attract three hundred to four hundred thousand people. That's like Jeez. a quarter of the country at the time. That, yeah, that, I just want to make that clear. Four times more than a modern F one race. That's will right. Attract over the weekend with that's no barricades no armcos no nothing and so standing on the side of a freaking rally stage yep uh there are stories that (laughs) portuguese people would like try and slap cars as they drove by and if you like got a bruise (laughs) shout out to my ancestors that is totally that's totally zero lift that is that is zero lift at the core right yeah and if you got a bruise if you got a bruise or lost a finger portuguese or doesn't count I mean, <laughs> way back when, if you got a bruise, lost a finger or something like that, that was a badge of honor. Um, wow. Dude, and, yeah. And there's reports of like mechanics finding like severed fingers and ducks and like sitting, <laughs> sticking onto wings. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Jeez. These things happen. Um, and it should be noted that I mean, like. It was, this, it was the 70s and 80s, man. Everyone was lifted off of cocaine and whatever yeah quaaludes yeah it should be noted that like the drivers hated this and the drivers complained about this all the time and the fisa if you recall the the governing body essentially the fia at the time um pretty much paid a blind eye to it because it was good for revenue 
Yeah. Odell Bill, y'all. Yep. And we're going to get into that not long, soon, here in a second. We're going to talk about that more. So in uh, in 85, Audi Corporate had started to lose a lot of confidence in Group B. Um, they only had a single win at the San Remo rally, and that was the last win that Audi would enjoy in Group B. Um, they were starting to kind of have some anxiety about like, hey, if we're going to be competitive here, we have to come up with an entirely new car. This stuff's crazy. I don't know if it's safe. I don't know if we want to keep doing this. And so there's a little bit of tension at Audi, and it kind of played into some of the politics, and we'll see that more. Um, at the end of 85, Lancia debuted the S4 at the final rally of the season, the RAC. Um, and it was driven in the hands of the legendary Henry Toivonen. Now, the S4, that is a hell of a car. It is not half yeah. as pretty as the 037. But... Um, I wouldn't call that pretty, whatever, in any form of the word. Any it's form. definitely RAC, a function over form rally car, for sure. RIC is Wales, by the way. Yep. Uh, for those <laughs> who don't know. Um, so, but this car was a monster. It was supposedly making somewhere in the neighborhood of 450 uh, horsey powers, which is how many ducks? Uh, a lot yeah lots of ducks i think that's a that's about 969 it, ducks 14.5 ducks what is it what is it i thought it was like seven i thought it was like yeah, seven 4.37 ducks all right okay but um but here's the thing that's cool <laughs> you about the remember your duck ratios folks no here's the thing that's cool about the lancia s4 it was compound charged it was turbo and supercharged so um, if I so re- re- yeah, Ryan, just that. How do you not like the look you. of this car, Lenny? It's ugly. It's kind of ugly. It's like ugly in the good ways, though. Uh, sure. Anyways, carry on. More than just the no. Of I, I, I was just gonna say, Ryan, this is a lesson for you. Compound charge is when uh, an engine, a motor, is supercharged and turbocharged, and so like oh, so that can be done. When, okay, cool. that's yes. cool. So, and okay. so, like, when someone asks you if it's turbocharged and it's compound charged and you don't want to reveal what car it is, you just say yes. Ah, okay. Yes. We did, we did discuss this last <laughs> yeah, week yeah, with yeah. my snafu. <laughs> I just um, want to reiterate. So, it, it, so basically, the supercharger <laughs> um, was a positive displacement type, and it provided boost in low RPM, and the turbocharger essentially took over for higher RPM. So that was a way to get around the issues of turbo lag like we talked about with the Peugeot. Um, and I can tell you, driving the S4 in uh, in Dirt Rally, this thing takes off like a bat out of hell. It is hard to control for a different reason because it's just so goddamn fast everywhere, regardless of what gear you're in. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> It wins uh, its debut race at the end of the season. Um, of note, MG also debuted the Metro 6R4, another car that I love because it's based on an Econo shitbox that they put the engine in the back and made it gnarly. Um, but the 6R4, they made some gambles. Um, it was yeah, I'd say yeah. It was in a <laughs> um, it was in a I think it was a what was it three or four liter V6. Um, and it made like 380 horsepower, and it just did not have the chutzpah to keep up with what the major teams were rolling out. Um, yeah, I like they. I would say that they had the mid-engine part right, but like the the natural aspiration, I, I don't think was really serving them well. Well, uh, in the time, in yeah. the time of like early turbo technology, it's, where everybody was running it, and so like it yeah. was just so much faster, no matter what you did, right? It's super rad looking, and I will say this, that in, at the time though, in like Clubman rallies, like not WRC, so less than the world stage, um, the 6R4 was a monster. It was kind of considered the car to have for privateers in below, you know, below WRC level, Uh, and it was (laughs) successful for a long time, but it was not competitive in WRC. It won, it placed third in its inaugural rally at the end of 85. Um, Timo Salonen was the champ, um, in the Peugeot Stig got second, um, and the constructors champ, 
standings was Peugeot, Audi, and Lancia, which Lancia, for most of the season, was still doing the 037. Um, so things are... What I want to say yeah. about Go ahead. this particular year in in Group E is that like it skyrocketed in popularity, right? And oh, yeah. as we all know, once things get popular, that means the money comes in. Mm-hmm. And the money came from everywhere, from the manufacturers, from sponsors. Uh, what's what's his face, John B- Balstarde? What I like to call him, Balestre. Balaster, Balestre, the head of the feast. He's the the head honcho. He's like so for anybody French. who, yeah, yeah, he's French. He's the Bernie Eccleston of of rally at the time. Well, he's he's in he's the he's the head of decades, right? So he's the head of FISA. So that is like the FIA. So it's not just rally; it is rally, but it's also F one, like the sanctioning. I mean, there was the the FOCA, FOCA, whatever. Right. That that was that was no no no. That wasn't the governing body. That was the consortium of constructors. So So FIA didn't govern Group B or rally at this time. No 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 no. They do too. It was called the FISA. It was the FIA. Ah, okay. but at the time, okay. so oh. the, the S stood for sport, uh, but that that literally is the FIA. But it's called at the at the time it was called the FISA. Now the the uh, F one C O fight fight FOCA or whatever, like you said. Um, which mm-hmm. funny funny story? It used to be the abbreviation used to be FICA, which is very very close to the Italian word for female genitalia, so they changed it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, yeah. So Foca Chief Bernie Eccleston was okay. Yeah, so I got so, so, so same league. Hold on. Yeah. What Foca was what Foca was was that was essentially the union for all the manufacturers in F one. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they all got together, and they were like the political body that represented the manufacturers. And so they were like, hey, FISA, you guys are assholes. And they're like, no, you guys are assholes. But anyway, that's F1. But I, right. Yeah, well, yeah, I know, what all, I, what I know I meant, all about that. I know what you're right. talking about there. I know all this stuff, John. Okay, yeah. I got you. What, what I meant about. to say about all of that and the connection there is, is that there was a lot of money pouring into the groupie from all directions, right? And so, like, <laughs> things got, like, pretty ridiculous. But, like, to me, that's, like, on par with the 80s. Like, we had, the, like, flying helicopters for the teams. Like, flying mechanics is what they call them. I think, John, yes. John, you, you know about it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, at the, yeah, you're right. At this point in time, Group B actually eclipsed F1 in popularity in terms of, like, crowd and fan recognition. Wow. Um, and it had... St- and the level of development and technology being put in the cars was easily on par. Um, and so, yeah, you had flying mechanics. So you had, like, mechanics in rally cars that would put parts and spare tires and stuff in their car. And they would race through the woods and shit to try and meet their racer at a certain point on a stage to do roadside repairs. Um, because when you run a rally, it's A to B, and that's it. And so if you, like, puncture a tire... Like, they'd fly a mechanic out. Audi was also working on, like, prototypes for helicopter refueling, where, like... Yeah, yeah like, in-race in helicopter refueling. Yeah, like, a helicopter would fly over the car and, like, fly formation on the car and lower a fueling probe down to the car. Um, Legend has it that they got pretty far in development on that somewhere. Yeah, they did. They did. Um <laughs> As, that's as, crazy, right? Hey, that's as like, an Air Force guy, that's awesome. Respect to that because mid air fueling is the is as awesome. A, I love mid air fueling. As oh. a helicopter also, pilot, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, like teams had helicopters with mechanics and spare parts in them that would like legit follow them on their route and like if needed land at the like the nearest you know, That's field so cool. or clearing or whatever to drop off the mechanics and any spare parts needed. Like in that in the eighties, that's a lot of money, right? That's insane. Yeah. That's, you gotta, you gotta too. ask yourself how much of that is cocaine for money. But anyway, like 1986 <laughs> for F1, we're talking like, that's like the goat level of F1 almost. Like you've got Ellen yeah. Prost, you've got Senna, yeah. you've got yeah. Martin Brundle, my, Nigel Mansell, you've mm-hmm. got Williams Honda era. I mean, this is that is insane. Like, this that is nuts. The groupie is like 
eclipsing F1 in like one of the greatest eras of F1 at this point in time. That's what I mean, wild. like when you have close to half a million people at a Portugal rally stage, like that's right. crazy. Not that many. I don't know if anybody's ever like, yeah, seen YouTube videos of it, but like it's literally like a sea of people crowding into the street, like more than five feet in the street as you, as a rally car comes barreling down, and like I don't want to understate barreling. And down you, well, you've actually posted some of these carbon? videos. Yeah, we posted some of these videos yep. on our Instagram, yep. uh, yep. Zero Left uh, Instagram. Uh, .eth. Don't forget. Yes, Zero Left Podcast. Instagram. Lenny does uh, have some of these videos, and I'm sure there'll be more for this week as well. Uh, just yeah. showing yeah, I got a ton. clips of this insanity because it is very much Group B. All right, let's keep the train rolling, but g- great discussion here, and it feeds right into it. So going into 86, so... Ford enters the fray with the RS 200, which is a car that never got to see its full potential. Um, because I'm PTSD when you say that car, I got yeah. I got to say, like, I didn't know, like, as I did a deep dive the last few days here. Um, and so like, I didn't know that there was an RS 1800 prior to the RS 200. It was like a, the escort, a more sub. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. The escort, it was yeah. like a more subdued version version. I don't think it had like, uh, the, the engine, like had a totally different engine. Well, yeah, that maybe it was like a configuration, but well, like it was, was a race only version. And then that was running in like the B nine or B 10, like the lower classes, like everything we're talking about now is the B 12 class. Um, yeah. The high end. Um, the RS 200 was it, it didn't get a lot of notable success just because its time in Group B was so short. Um, but it it was the car a is terrifying, super rad car, very scary. Uh, they had the car is terrifying. So Ford has said that they had like prototypes they were testing for like the '87 season that had over 750 horsepower on dirt. Yeah. Um, Yikes! And in '86. Most Oof. most of the competitors were approaching or over 500 horsepower. There's a lot of rumors of Audi and Lancia cars having like race engine specials that they hid for like race day that were around 700 or up to 750. Um, and drivers had started to complain that the cars were starting to exceed their ability to physically control them, like human, like you need a robot. Duh. Yeah. Um, Gee, I wonder like, why. Without any driver, like think about it. Without any driver aids, like it's just you and the car and a bunch of lag, and then a bunch of fucking power turbo, and you're Insane. on the dirt or like in the middle of a turn. Like, dude, to be guys, able to be zero lift through all that as they are, I as would they say, were, I would say crazy. the closest that a normal Nuts. person could come to like kind of experiencing this, like for people that aren't into motorsports, um, it is. Roller coasters? It is no. I would say I would say getting in like a fast cart. Um, oh, what I'm yeah. what I'm saying is that like motorsports at a high level is very physical. It is absolutely. It's a sport, folks. It is extremely. Absolutely. It is extremely physical. Um, you know, I have gone motorcycle racing on a few occasions and like come off the track and you hop off the bike and your legs give out. Like I, I've literally like collapsed on the ground. Like you're just so exhausted. Actually, so um, I've had no, here, I've had bruised ribs from I've had bruised ribs like from carting carting at yep. <laughs> Ori Matsuda. You guys are talking <laughs> the extremes here. I just as a, as a as a guy who puts in five thousand plus a month here on the car here, just break really 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 hard. Your car. <laughs> don't clench your ribs, don't clench your abs, and you're gonna have a bad time. Yes, like, even if up. you do, even if you do, it doesn't even matter. It, it, that's exactly. how much motorsports is. That's my point. So, like in a normal car, right? At maximum, you experience one g of brake force, and that's if you are ready for it and you are like locking your neck and holding your abs without a five point harness, and you're still gonna just you're you're just moving, and your body has to like react to that. Yep. And that's a single brake. Imagine that over As, a long extended period of time. It's, 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 you know, you're looking at five to seven G's yep. of lateral force. I mean, never through, mind, never mind rolling over gravel and jumps and yep, ruts in the road at a hundred, at a hundred miles per hour. Um, right. It's insane. It, so and, and I just want to make a, I just want to make a side note here. Uh, yeah. 
in Japan, whenever we had track days, whenever I did any track days, I always made a note of pinning the nearest uh, onsen resort from the track. Uh, <laughs> uh, for those who yeah. don't know, an onsen resort in Japan uh, means like it's like a hot spring bath. It's like yep. a place where yeah. you relax, be Springs, able to sure. kind of decompress. And so like doing that right after a track day, where you're doing like three or four s- sessions, usually in the summer or the spring in, in Japan, so it's like pretty hot and humid. But John, uh, I would say you- something you you definitely have to do. Like it totally helps in like the recovery post track. Two, two things to keep this relative to people that don't necessarily understand the f- forces that are put on you in motorsport. Make uh, it short because we got so a lot. You- <laughs> Yeah, you just went boarding, snowboarding, which yeah. is also a physically very demanding. Yeah, would you say you take more abuse on your body doing aggressive motorsport or snowboarding? Uh, depends. Uh, doing a track day in your car, like your normal car, uh, I would say right. snowboarding is more. Doing like a really intense karting session, uh, a car on these ca- this caliber, or like a motorcycle race, I would say racing is much more taxing. Mm, I would say that they were about. Equal, like they're comparable. I mean, you're, if you're if you're going hard on a snowboarding, like on a snowboarding ride day, like we're talking from I'd, first lift to last. Sure, that's more endurance uh, then, though. At that point, then uh, then like uh, an all day track event. So like you're at the track ah, okay. uh, at dawn and you don't leave until it's closed. Yeah. So that's like three or four sessions. Well, it's comparable. I'll tell you. I, I'll, okay. say. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. The nervous system tax on racing is not to be overstated i yeah yeah mm-hmm. i sure. yeah you know especially when i was carding, different level lenny I, I don't know if you remember when i lived in japan and i got into that 125 and i would go literally every single sunday but like when i came off the track at the end of the day it was a four-hour session and i would pretty much run it all when i came off the track at the end of the day like yes i was sore and i had bruised ribs and my forearms were pumped out and stuff but like it the like adrenaline dump in like the come down was like i i i it uh, it's the only thing i can equate it to is if you're like doing pr max on deadlift and anybody that's like <laughs> a serious bodybuilder knows what i'm talking about but the nervous system tax like you don't want to go it's really hard to do like heavy heavy squats and heavy heavy deadlifts because beyond your muscles it just takes a lot out of the rest of your body yeah, and, it's a mental load for sure. Yeah, and nothing. I mean, even doing compares, compares to that for me for nothing. motorsports. Even hard snowboarding doesn't doesn't right because mm, really you could pull a, you could pull a Sunny Bono, but like the speed at which you're going and the, the the your your eyes have to just register so much because if you twitch just slightly wrong, you're dead. You're even yeah. you know what I mean like yeah. it's comparably like. In a snowboarding incident, you have to really twerk your whole body and mess up if you're in the trees. But like, in a, in a, especially in a rally situation, you just slightly turn. If it's a if it's a six right and you do a five right or something like that, you you're done. All right, but we're gonna Continue. push. We're gonna push. So anyway, uh, the, all the major teams have like chiropractors on staff, and they do spinal decompressions after each stage. That's how legit this is getting. Um, but their complaints are pretty much going unanswered and then and then it really happens um in portugal uh joaquim santos crashed his rs200 into a crowd of spectators killing three and injuring over 30 this is one of the pivotal tragedies of group b all of the major teams went on strike for the remainder of the race uh as a protest to the fisa over the rules and uh, and unsafe conditions and crowd control concerns, I I gotta say, so the this car particularly, uh, I is where I found out that Ford was running an RS eighteen hundred prior to this. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so like Joaquin Santos uh, had driven the RS eighteen hundred. Yes. Prior to this race. And Correct. so, like, this was his first race driving this car. And, and this was the top-notch supercar. And so, like, there's a little bit of speculation. And I don't know if you guys have seen the YouTube video um, about it. But but there is there is a U- there is video of this crash live 
Uh, and it's it's kind of wicked to see. Yeah. Um, and it, it sort of started this it really like ignited this whole gas canister fire of safety in Group B. I think it did of it's- whether whether or not Joaquin Santos like had crashed because he was in this new supercar and he wasn't accustomed to the to the power or because he had swerved to get out uh to not hit a spectator which uh we could harp, harp on before portugal was known for having spectators like really in the road and just barely missing these cars because they saw it as like a badge of honor right as we mentioned before and so like there's a lot of talk about what had happened there yeah and it's also of note that uh Balestric- completely ignored um all of these protests and the teams going on strike he actually praised the portuguese officials for continuing the rally and that's of note because we go to the next big tragedy not long after this at the tour de corse uh henry toivonen crashes his lancia s4 and is killed his co-pilot was able to get out but so after in short order this RS200 crash injuring 30 spectators killing 3 Henry Toivonen uh getting himself killed in his crash um wow then Balestre after ignoring the protest in the prior crash after this crash comes out and says group B is annulled uh there were plans for another class called group S he annulled those two it was supposed to be kind of a replacement for group B uh, we won't get into it right now but um and it was weird. It was a weird kind of flip-flop of his attitude of, like, ignoring and praising the Portuguese official for continuing the rally and then literally banning the entire race class um, after this. And it caused a lot of outcry from manufacturers um, because from the manufacturer's perspective, they've been lobbying for measures and controls and maybe raising the minimum weight limit um, and other things to allow the sport to continue just safer. And then he comes out without really consulting anyone and just bans it. There's a lot of speculation on why. Um, some people think that he didn't like that Group B was starting to take the shine away from F1. Um, some people think that he w- was had a grudge because of there's a lot of concessions they made to manufacturers when they initially started Group B. Uh, and the group, the letter groups entirely and they thought that maybe he was kind of being vindictive and getting back at them um Hmm. and the the outcome from this uh so there was some political waffling shortly thereafter at a non-wrc event the adoc rally in uh, germany um an rs200 crashed and killed the co-driver and that was kind of like you know in the sphere of public opinion that like cemented the ban um so group B- I saw yeah, go there's ahead. a picture of it. I saw a picture of that. I just wanna uh fortunately, like I I went down the rabbit hole as I said before. So like I happened upon a picture of that crash, uh and like the, there's literally a tree through the passenger oof. side of the oh, yeah. RS two hundred. Yeah, I mean yeah, like it it's a small car. Yeah. And it's oof. So, um, so what actually happened? other things I just, I just, I just need to point out there, um, about the end is, uh, and I totally forgot. Move on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love it. So the, the outcome of this, (laughs) the outcome of this was the B12 and the B11, like basically the supercar classes were just straight up canned. Uh, the B9 and the B10, the slower car classes were allowed to compete with non-Evo models, we talked about the evolution rules last episode. So the non-Evo models of the lower classes were allowed to compete until the homologation expired, basically the rest of the season. Um, so this knee-jerk reaction um, caused Peugeot to file a lawsuit for financial losses because um, so Group A, which was like the mostly factory car racing was allowed to continue and it's suspected that Peugeot had nothing that was remotely competitive for group a and they put all their weight into this group b thing and so they were suing for the financial losses they were going to incur and this is when 
Actually, and I just remembered what it was I was talking about, and it has a connection to what you you just said there. Uh, the reason and the basis on that Peugeot lawsuit was that there was a, a clause that was agreed upon between the manufacturers and uh, FICA or, or whatever uh, that cemented rules and regulations for five-year period. Correct. And so, like, they were not allowed, like, FICA was not allowed to change the rules on on the manufacturers so much uh so and and so like uh based upon the unsafeness of group b eventually fika was trying to make a group s and that that was the inception there so they could skirt around that five-year clause which was uh supposed to be uh due quite after so that was the whole basis of that lawsuit Right, and the five-year clause would have taken place after eighty-seven. So this is this is all this is in violation of that five-year clause that they banned it. Um, mm-hmm. So Peugeot sues, and this is when Balestre does something really sideways. So to appease Peugeot and get them to drop the lawsuit, he literally annuls the result of the San Remo rally that Lancia won. So Lancia won the San Remo rally. Peugeot sues after this crash and Group B is annulled. Balestre just says that rally doesn't count, and that gave Peugeot their second title. Wow. Yeah. That's F some it. crooked ass shit. Right. F it. This this race didn't count. You guys are the winners. Um, <laughs> and uh, that is that. That defect effectively was the end of Group B. That that's the end of Group B as we know it. That is, I'm sure we will talk about Balestre because he's a big figure in Formula One, um, making questionable decisions that made a lot of people mad all over motorsports. But that was I, I like to call him a Balastardo. Yeah, Balastardo. Um, so yeah, he just annuls a rally, gives Peugeot their other title. Group B is effectively over. Um, the cars people cry that, about Massey. Yeah, I, I mean. <laughs> You got a point, dude. You got a point. Yeah. Because that makes this season of F1 look tame by comparison. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm just saying. Keep it relevant, folks. Um, but, you know, the cars that were involved in Group B would go on to complete in, compete in other disciplines, uh, including Pikes Peak Hill Climb, the Dakar rallies, or lower, like below the level of WRC rallies. And they were extremely competitive. Uh, I mentioned the Metro 6R4 had a long history, especially in British rallies. Um, and you know, I think one kind of future takeaway that I'm kind of sad about is that the reason that we had all these cool production cars and group B was so nuts and stuff was that there were, you had to have a homologation car that was especially similar to your race car. Nowadays in WRC, um, you can have like, for instance, you can have a front wheel drive production car. And there's no rule preventing you from making the race car four-wheel drive. So, like, there's no incentive on the manufacturers to make a road-going, just gnarly-ass rad car that you can buy because they can just mod their race car. Um, Right. So, and that's why we don't see, at least not on the level that it was, um, the hot homologation special garage sales um, that we used to. And that's, you know, that makes me sad. Yeah, it's an era lost. It is an era lost. But that's... Era lost. That's Group B. Uh, I'm going to make a quick shameless plug. We don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but you know they also outlawed Group B regulation for Tarmac as well, which Ferrari was developing the 288 GTO for Group B regs on Tarmac. And uh, when that went away, they basically used the 288 GTO as the test bed for the Ferrari F40, the greatest car of ever time. Of ever time. <laughs> the greatest car of all time. Words are hard. Words every time. <laughs> so Ryan, uh, you said you had a re- you want a redemption off of your snafu. Yeah, I picked a great car, uh, but it was a snafu. So can we actually buy this car? Is my <laughs> only can, question before we start this. Actually, buy this car. It is a buyable car. It does not violate the one rule we have when it comes to what I wish I was driving. <laughs> a game of twenty I just, questions. I just wanted to make that very clear that one that is us, our one rule that we have for this game. Um, it is the one rule we have. It is a game of 20 questions in which John and Lenny are going to ask me, the one who knows what I wish I was driving, uh, to figure out if they can figure it out or not. Or maybe I'll stump them. But you can buy this one. That is your hint this time, uh, boys. Yeah. And also, 
this is a generational. Oh boy. So for the yeah, listeners, correct generation. For the listeners, yes or no questions only. We can only guess the car once. So if we try and guess early and get it wrong, the game's over. And with that, are we going to let the questioning begin? Let it go. Go ahead, John. All right. Um, Ryan, was this car produced? Was the, what was the question? Oh, hold on. I'm thinking. Uh, okay. Was the initial sale of this car prior to January 1st, 2000? Yes. Pre-2000, yes. Okay. Is this car American? No. Is this car European? No. Is this car turboed? No. Is this car Japanese? Yes. Is this car a Honda? Yes. <laughs> because I'm out there for my Honda, boys. <laughs> You're so predictable. All right. Yeah, well. It's a pre-2000 in a Honda. Uh, Ryan, did this car have the engine in the front? Did this car have the engine in the front? Of course it does. It's Honda. I mean. <laughs> I Okay, it's not the S2000. What? That was an additional hint, but the S2000 is the engine in the front. Thank uh, you for that. Wait. What? Uh, <laughs> okay, fair enough. Were you thinking of the say, NSX? No. Does this car have VTEC? No, yeah. Does this car have VTEC? You kidding me? No. I think that's a pretty yes or no. There's yeah. no, like, questionable to it? Yeah. Yes well, or no? Uh, you said it's generational, I guess. Correct. Yes. So in that case. No. no. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. You're only talking about, if it's generational, you're only talking about the generation of car that you want us to guess. So I don't Correct. care if the current model does. All right. This particular car does not have VTEC. No tech. Hit him with tech. Um, yeah. That, for future efforts, that would just be a no because we're talking well, about a specific right, car here. Sorry. Not yeah, about you, whatever it is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So is this car front wheel drive? Yes. I'm getting strong old Civic or Teggy vibes. They can CRX? Maybe. Maybe. Um, was this car built in the 80s? Was this car built in the 80s? Yes. Okay. 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 Uh, did this car, this car a hatchback? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Is it a hatchback? Is it classed as a hatchback? The specific model no. is a class as a hatchback. Is it a hatchback? No. No. Um, I feel like, we, John, I'm just going to just gonna say, as, as we go past question 10 here, uh, I, f- I feel like we're going to have to be very specific in our questioning because he obviously doesn't know what we're talking about. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I just, excuse oh, me. I have, I have seen oh, you go to Wikipedia on certain questions here, bud. So, all right. I mean, I think if it is it a hatchback, it's, it's pretty yes or no, but whatever. Um, John, go is ahead. This, does this Honda belong to the Civic family of cars? No, it is not a Civic. Oh. Interesting. Hold on. What am hmm. I thinking of? What's the one I'm thinking of? What's the what's the what's the K car? Honda City. What's the K car? The, the Honda fast, City. No, the cool one. Is it the Beat? The S- Honda Beat. Six hundred or some shit. That's the new one. So that wouldn't be uh, pre two thousand. Yeah, and it was, was built there, in the eighties. So that's their, a little bit. What was their you know what was their uh, Alto Works Cappuccino AZ one competitor? You know what I'm saying? Well, he said it was front. It was front engine, right? He did say he, it was. He did say it was front engine. Oh yeah, front you're right. engine. So it couldn't have been and the beat. Can't be the beat. It's not the beat. Uh, it's, oh, thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, it technically is a hatchback. My apologies. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. Oh, technically, what is technically? It's not classed as that. What do you mean? It's not, it's not classed as that. Is this that. the model that you're thinking of? Or, yes, or yes, wishing you were driving a hatchback. Yes. 
Then well, it, it is a hatchback. But find a hatchback for the wait, folks. Wait, but it's not a Civic? Does it? I mean, it's not a Civic. What would it classify a hatchback for the folks at home? Uh, does it have two doors, a, a driver's and a passenger door, and a third door slash hatch out the rear instead of just a trunk lid? Or yes. is the hatch higher than the butt line of the car, if we want to be... Or whatever you is, want to be technical about. Does the whole back end of the car open up makes it a hatchback, correct? Thank you. Yes. There you go. Then yes, Wait, it's so a hatchback. It's, it's got to be. My apologies. I, I wanted it to be super te- technical and specific. Hey, like, for the folks at home, you got to keep it basic. The whole back twice, end opens. Tw- two weeks in a row, you're, you're fucking You know, here. I'm trying. I normally <laughs> don't host these for a reason, folks. I normally host the podcast <laughs> and not this particular segment. Wait, so it's it's <laughs> got to be a... CRX then, right? It's gotta be a CRX, right? Yeah, so is it just a question of that? And I don't think the CRX had any sort of VTEC version that I know of. So it's gotta the be CRXR? A, it's gotta is be there a, a CRXR? It's gotta be a first or a second gen. Oh, he did say it's generational. Yeah, so the one that everybody likes is the second gen. Ryan, does this... Hold on. Does the model of the car does the name of the car model or the in the name ah I'm in the name to, I'm, in the I'm name I'm trying to box you in a, in a question here in the name you're kind of doing some John maneuvering here Lenny is there an X in the name of this car is there an X <laughs> that's kind of a cheat very question. 90s of you uh there is indeed hmm so I'm X. I'm usually the laissez-faire one, but I actually don't like that question. But but you know whatever we'll play it. But. I, Lenny was doing some kind of that that that's a different type of shifty. John, yeah. normally your multiple your multiple questions stuff hasn't popped up yet. Okay, so look, how is that shifty? It was like a yes or no question. Is there an X in the name? Fair. Yes or no? That's fair. What question number are we on, boys? I'm pretty sure the later fourteen CRXs had VTEC. So. That would mean either he's doing some like basic soccer mom model BS, or it's got to be a first gen. You feel me? Yeah, I feel you. Um, I'm not too Honda, so I don't really know. That's sad. Uh, Ryan is is the specific car in question an SI trim? Yes, it is, John. That is a good question. Good job, John. Okay, so. Lenny, I'm not yeah, guessing I, yet, but my guess is the first generation CRX SI. By the way, folks, for those of you at home, these guys are not using the internet at all. They're just using their brain power. And uh, it's really impressive to narrow down what they've uh, already done. So, mad props to these guys for being car nerds. Um, yeah, really. The question. Oof. Okay, so I don't know the actual model year designations between these. You know what I mean? Like, I know it's like mid ish to late ish 80s for the first gen and like late 80s. I want to say 83 to 87, but like that's that just sounds. Me. I mean, most manufacturers were doing that roughly. Like, <laughs> um, I don't I don't know. That was, yeah, I think so. 83 to, 83 to 87. Um, Ryan, was this car uh, the first of its name? Was it the first of its name? No, it was not. What? Hmm. Uh, did did they did Hana have a CRX before their eighties CRX? I don't know. What do you did mean just... by first of its name? As in, is it the first generation? Yeah, that's second what generation, I was, that's third what generation. Was, that's what I was intending to. That's ask. what I was going with as well. Yes, it is not the first of its name, John. But how? But the second gen had VTEC. Was there an Accord SI? Mm. But there's an X in the name. Yes. Oh, right. So then it's, it's got to be the CRX. There's no other Honda of that era that had it. But if it's not the first gen, then the, the fucking the second gen had VTEC. The second gen. Notice SI. I was stimpy on that question, boys. What, is that what do you mean stimpy? No, 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 no. Okay. A particular car I'm talking about that I wish I was driving. He already said it's an SI. Does not, 
At, correct. Does not have a VTEC. They only made one model of SI. Did they? Didn't they? I don't. I the fucking did the same Gen SI not have VTEC? Did they? Did the did they make like an SIR, CRX SIR? I don't know. Hans like Willis. I don't know. I'm not that Honda boy. Holy, holy moly, baloney, Tochigi. Uh, oh wait a second. Did they make an SIR? Uh, but we're at those had sixteen. This is number sixteen. The second gen had VTEC though. Did you fuck us, Ryan? I don't believe so because I'm looking at the engine and it says nothing about VTEC and the particular model and generation that I'm thinking about. So we should shoot the shot then, like John. Look, there's no other Ryan, other option. Like Ryan, did this I don't, car? I don't think there's other. Did this car have a B16 engine? A Bravo. Yeah. 16 or Delta? No, Bravo 16. Or Charlie. Bravo or Bravo 16. negative. Negative on the Bravo 16. I'm it just stop very confused right now. I just gave it to you. I just gave it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I, were you, were you listening with your ears? I just I gave it was. to you. was. It had a D16. Unless I'm wrong. Can we just take the shot here? Can we just take the shot? But that sure. would be the first. But the D16. Uh, Ryan, is this the uh, Honda CRX SI? Yes. Of which generation? Uh, the 88 to uh, no. No. 93. Nailed it. Nailed it. That one had VTEC. Yeah, okay. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Is that engine VTEC though? Because I couldn't figure out if it was VTEC or not. So help me understand. Killing me. Hold on. That's why I wasn't sure. Because in the powertrains, it does have VTEC. <laughs> but the, 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 the SI sport injected model had the DB, the, the D16A6 engine. Was that a VTEC? Because I couldn't see a direct correlation of it being particularly VTEC or not. It said some do, some don't. So that's why I was confused when you asked the VTEC question, because my information here is not necessarily telling me that it's VTEC or not. You guys were on it, though. You guys were on it. And I'm again, I'm amazed that you guys do this with your brain powers. But, like, also... I, the, the years were right? Were the years were right? Yeah, 88 no way. to 91. 88 to 91 was Gen 2. Oh, that's 93. Okay. Yeah, you were close. You were close enough with the 88 that I'll give it to you. And the 1990 is particularly the model that I would be after. Um, so why? The, Tell us why. Um, so basically, I picked this car because, uh, one, I wanted to pick something that was a little off the beaten path but was still on the path that I enjoy. Uh, I really like this because, in general, this has me researching cars I didn't know exist or uh, at least in the area that I live in. Um and it's kind of a cool little car. It's well, uh, it's lightweight. You throw it around well. It's light and nimble, similar to the 205. Uh, it's currently in modern era is used in autocross. It's used in rally. It's used in all sorts of different sort of things. It's kind of almost that Miata perfect balance of like power to weight ratio sort of thing going on. And it's not a Honda Civic Type R, but it's still Honda, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, so that's kind of why I picked this car. I think it looks neat too. Very, very much eighties styley. It's classified as a three door coupe, uh, which is where I got confused on the oh, hatchback. Even though it is a hatchback, on. it's a three door coupe. <laughs> so it's classified as that's some Honda. BS I'm being right snarky there. though because no, you guys know you guys no still got way. it. You guys still got it, which so is the impressive. D sixteen A six does not have VTEC, and the D sixteen Z six does. So this car does not have VTEC. Uh, I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, just the no, second I generation. It I guess it, it didn't till the Del Sol. Am until huh. the third gen. But there were versions of the second gen CRX that did have had the VTEC, but not the, the SI. With yes, the, with but the not tech. But which ones right. had the B16? I thought I figured the SI would. Right, but it doesn't. Oh man. Exactly. Man, he thought Subaru you had all, all the confusing things. If you go on Wiki and look at the amount of engines on this car, it's like, what would... 
Yeah. It's like 12 different engine configurations in one generation of car. It's insane. That's crazy. I'll tell you this. I have always had a soft spot for the CRX. Thank you. It's an Um, Econo shitbox. Yep. It's perfect. It aligns with Group B. It's just cool. It's from the 80s. Right. I picked... Did I redeem myself, boys? More or less. Okay, this is why. Yeah, I no, no, I, no. He did. He did. Segment. No, he did because the confusion with the tech that wasn't his fault, and it, and he was right. He was right. Um, I got it. Okay, I got to hand it to you. Yeah, I tried. I tried to not give it away by also being like, hey, I'm not sure. I'm not that nerdy enough here. Help yeah. me out here. But from what I'm reading, it didn't have no, VTEC, but right. it did in the description on the side. So I was like. I don't think it does from all the videos I watched and the research I did. It, they didn't never mention VTEC. And normally in this era when VTEC was first starting, you'd normally be like, it had VTEC. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're so, right. You're right. It did not. Kudos to you. I tried, Kudos boys. To you. There you go. Well, you guys still got it. Uh, Lenny, yeah. you got this, buddy. Take it Somehow. Out. I don't know. I don't know how I got that. But, yes, that's twice – that's two weeks in a row. I'll take the win for that. I'm impressed. Uh, and that's been an episode of Zero Lift, people. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe on this, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts at. Uh, be sure to also give us a like and follow uh, when you see us on social media on Twitter. We're Zero, zero on Twitter and on Instagram, same name. Uh, hit us up. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, and, yeah, we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you. Keep it pinned. Keep it pinned. Thanks for going down memory lane with us.